Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Read about the Northern Wrestling Federation in the book presented by Russellville.com, the The Pro Pro Wrestling Wrestling Fault, Volume 2. Hear the story of Roger Ruffin, the man who trained Carl Anderson, Anderson, the Monster Abyss, Jordan Clearwater, Chris Harrison, Jillian Hall. Plus 45 other short stories including Jazz, Bobby Eaton, Kamala, Thunder Rosa, Mario Mancini, Scott Casey, PJ Black, Kerry Morton, Sal Renaro, Jeremiah Plunkett, Colby Carino, Bam Bam Malone, and many others. Get your book today at Russellville.com. Russellville. It's where wrestling lives. Have you ever wondered what happened to Lance Von Erich? Find out in his book, Lance by Chance, Wrestling as a Von Erich. You'll read stories about Chris Adams, Ric Flair, and Billy Jack Haynes. And of course, the Von Erich family themselves. Get your book today on Amazon. You're listening to the Russellville Podcast. I'm your host, Vinny Berry. And on this episode, we have... Mark Youngblood, professional wrestler from Amarillo, Texas. Mark Youngblood had a, a long career in professional wrestling. Wrestled in the Carolinas, wrestled in Texas, wrestled in Florida, wrestled all over, all over the world. And was in Puerto Rico in July of 1988, specifically July 17th. Of 1988, on that fateful day where Bruiser Brody lost his life in Bayamon, Puerto Rico, a few years back when I was working on my Lance Von Erich book, Lance by Chance, Wrestling as a Von Erich, he and I have talked over the years, and I've been wanting to do a recording with him, and he finally agreed to do a podcast with me and we were talking about his family and we had a lot of questions. He's full of information and probably about the 45 minute turn of this, this interview, he starts talking about Puerto Rico and we ended up talking about a lot of stuff that I didn't know we were going to talk about. And There's been a lot of said about Bruiser Brody's uh, incident, about his death, what happened, who was there, what was seen, what was heard, what was told, what, you know, what happened, right? And this story is, is by all accounts from, from Mark. He was with Bruiser Brody that day, and he talks about how he and his brother, Chris, picked Bruiser Brody up from the Panama Hotel to go to the baseball stadium 
to wrestle that night. And three people went to the stadium and two people left. The interview that you're about to listen to is for a mature audience. And if you have young people listening with you, uh, you may want to listen to it first before they listen to it for the first time. Some of the details are a little graphic and they may be hard to take for younger listeners. Here's Mark Youngblood's story about what happened on July 17th, 1988 in Bayamon, Puerto Rico. Was there any particular territory that you enjoyed working in? I mean, was there a particular territory that when you look back? Puerto Rico. Yeah? Puerto Rico was my place, man. I, I mean, two years on that island, you know, after after I left uh, Carolina, you know, it was kind of I went down to Florida, and that place is dead. You know, uh, Dusty and them already killed that territory, so there was no more embers there. You know, the fires were smoldered, you know, so we left there, and I went on tour with my brother, uh, Chris. Me and Chris hooked up, got called in. Hey, uh, Dory, Dan, Dory, and Terry, they went there quite a bit. A lot of big names went to Puerto Rico. It was the top place to go in the wrestling business. For events, for anybody in the wrestling world, Puerto Rico was the number one place to go wrestle, you know, at one time, you know, and, and I was very lucky to go. My dad wrestled there years ago. Him and Reggie Parks, believe it or not, were roommates in Puerto Rico, you know, for three months. You know, my dad left Amarillo to go work in Puerto Rico for three months, and he roomed with Reggie Parks, you know, which makes all the belts, you know. He's the, the belt maker, and... um yeah, it was just Puerto Rico was the top place to go. I mean, who wouldn't like it? It's a tropical island, 70 miles long, 30 miles wide, beautiful water, beautiful place. And you worked um, four times a week. And, you know, they brought us in there, of course. And we had you know, we had to earn, earn, earn our name there. And we had to earn our title there. And Chris and I definitely did it. And we stayed there. And... We rocked it, man. The Puerto Rico people loved us. You know, they took us in. We were like family. We weren't afraid to go anywhere there. We were invited to their homes. We, uh, we welcomed them. They welcomed us. And, and the office there, they put us on top. We worked with some of the top names there and some of the top guys that came, Bobby Jaggers, Dan Crawford, uh, uh, Kendo Nagisaki and Mr. Pogo. Uh, the, we work with the, the wild Samoans. You know, I can say that. You know, I've been around long enough where I can work with the uh, Alpha and Zika, you know. And again, how's your dad doing? You know, because my dad, you know, in the, my dad was in the office back in the day. Big old giant. Alpha and Zika. Massive, any Massive. If you know, you've seen them videos and these guys and the gentle giants of the wrestling world, these guys, are, you know, heart of gold and you know, and going there working with those guys and and just in the, the the territory was just I mean, it was just on fire. Everybody and wanted to come to Puerto Rico. I mean, it was just going on. Vince even tried to come into Puerto Rico to run, you know, back to back with us, with uh Capital Sports, Carlos Cologne and all that. Vince tried to come in and bring his big old crew, heavy hitters that Try to bring in Hogan, Tito Santana, you know, Beefcakes, Macho Man, all these guys. And we're running back-to-back, plus we're doing a uh, – we had two coliseums, three coliseums going at the same time on the island, and we were doing screen. You know, we are doing matches in one, then the screen would go to the next, and the screen would go to the other. I mean, some places it was on – you know, Vince couldn't do it. Vince couldn't – I mean – Vince couldn't make a dent in, in, in Puerto Rico. And he tried. He tried to get Puerto Rico, but the people are, are loyal to their loyal, their, 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 I guess their local wrestlers and the people that came in there. Abdullah the Butcher, he was a big card there. Brody was a big card there. Flair came in there occasionally. Flair was, uh, Flair, Flair, I don't know. He was golden boy. You know, he didn't want to get dirty too much. And, and 
Puerto Rico is a different type of it's a different type of wrestler. You got to be a you know it, like Japan. I mean, it takes a certain caliber of wrestler to go to Japan and Puerto Rico. I mean, it's 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 not your everyday you know fancy glitz you know uh, different type of territories. And when you get over those people, you're over. You know, bad or good. You know, they're a, it's a hill island. You know, they love hill. And they right. love baby faces. It, it just depends who you are. You know, I've seen them flip hills cars. I've seen them, you know, escort the hills out of the stadium because the people are so pissed off at these hills, you know. And it's a work. It's a show. And I heard that, that you know, people get rocks thrown at, at them and, and they throw cups of tea on them. And, I mean, it's crazy yeah. stuff, right? Well, most of the shows out there, I mean, because there's so many people that go to these shows, they're done in, in like the Roberto Clemente Baseball Stadium. You know, these are outdoor stadiums that hold, you know, thousands of people, you know, and uh, and they just got a concrete wall around the center field. Well, and then they put the ring on top of the pitcher's mound, and they have ringside. So there's still the dirt. From the baseball, you know, first, second, third base, you know, you got your caliche clay out there. Well, these people would fill up a cup of beer full of dirt, just pack that, pack that cup full of dirt. And one time I was, I was uh, working with uh, Luke from the Bushwhackers. It was Butch and Luke. That was our biggest uh, rival there, the Bushwhackers in Puerto Rico. We drew a lot of money with those guys. I had Luke in a headlock, you know, he's bent over. And all of a sudden, he just collapsed. And I didn't know what happened. And somebody had thrown a cup of mud or dirt, and it hit him right in the ribs. You know, like a deer, you're hunting a deer, you know, you shoot them, shoot them in the sweet spot. What hit him right there in the ribs, and it dropped him. And I looked at him, I just let him go, you know. And, you know, and and that was one of the incidents. And then they would bring, like, spark plugs. They would bring rocks. Uh, They would bring... uh, what they would do, they would sell corn at this uh, venue, and the people would take the stick out of the corn, and they'd stick it reverse where the where the sharp end is sticking out, and they would throw the whole damn corn cob at you with that damn hurtling stick. And so, I mean, it could hit me, the hill, whoever was in the ring, you know. And another case, Miguelito Perez, we are having a, a battle royal. And somebody had thrown a, a rock at him and hit him in the forehead. And he just started running around in circles. All the boys kind of backed up against the ropes and blood just started coming out of his head. And we we're going, and somebody had to throw in a rock at him, you know. So yeah, it's up port- and fans would jump up on the, the center field wall and try to get over it, but they would have security there that they, they weren't military security, but they thought they were and they carried weapons. So if a kid was trying to crawl up a wall, I mean these are kids and teenagers, and they would just want they wanted to see the show, and, it, and if they would crawl over the wall, these guys would pull their guns out, shoot it up in the air, and all these people, thousands of people would laugh, you know, at the guns, go, pow, 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 because the kids were scared, and they jumped off the wall, yeah, and it was like wow, you know, so it was part of a life, you know, living there in Puerto Rico. It's definitely a uh, you know what they call the Pirates of the Caribbean? That's it. You know, when you talk about, you know, I, I love the Puerto Rican people, but they are the Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, they are uh, not, not very fortunate in life, so they kind of they kind of take if they want, you know. And if they like you, then they'll spare you. Did you work there for two years straight, or did you live there for two years straight, or how that worked? Yeah. I did. I did two years straight. I had my wife, my little boy, Ryan, at the time. Yeah, I lived right there close to the beach. And, yeah, I was I was on the roster for two years straight. What year was my, that? Oh, uh, that was in the 80, 89, 87, 87, 88, 89, in that era. Because my first trip was to Japan was in 87. And I got booked from, from uh, Puerto Rico. And so that was 87. In 88, 89, I was there working those years. And then after that, I would go back. I would do shots after that. You know, after I left the tour territory, you know, um, I would go back and make shots. And, and actually, 
pretty much every weekend I'd go. I'd fly back here to Amarillo and I'd fly back the next week into Puerto Rico and do the show for a week and fly back home. But yeah, I was there. I had my family there. I had a home there. I was paying utilities there. I was going to Western Union, sending the money home, calling my parents that I couldn't talk to in years, you know. You know, it was, yeah, kind of definitely gave it up to live on the tropical island. But yeah, I lived there quite a while until things turned for the worst and just ended up leaving the island. And talk about that. What were the things that turned for the worst? Well, of course, everybody knows the situation with Frank Goodish, Bruiser Brody, you know, that, you know, it's just, that was the big deal that kind of turned me away from wrestling in all, you know. Wrestling's a family type business. It always has been. It's, I mean, I'll talk about brotherhood and and when you see the brotherhood step out of line and, and, and just when you become the hunted and the hunter becomes the hunted and things turn, it, 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 it gave me a bad taste in my mouth, you know, seeing Frank, uh, taking his life the way it happened. And unfortunately, you were there that night in the in the stadium. What what was the name of that stadium? Uh, I believe it was uh, Bayamon, maybe Bayamon. There's Higher Beethorn, there's Bayamon, there's uh, Roberto Comeni. You know, um, shit, I believe it was Bayamon Stadium. You know, they're all the same. After after a while, they all kind of run the same. You know, you go to each place, they all look alike. But it was definitely there in San Juan. You know, it was, yeah, it was not too far from my house, you know, living there. But, yeah, it was there, and I believe it was by one. Can you take us back to that, that day? It was uh, unbelievable when I heard the news. I, I almost couldn't believe that that it was true. You know, 1988 when that happened. Oh hell, yeah, it was it was just something that nobody expects. You know, every day when you go to work, you just never know. I mean, well, you never know when you walk out your door anyway. You know, life just it, it can come any time. You know, but yeah, uh, yeah, just I mean that day. I mean, first of all, let me say something. Frank, Frank Goodish, Bruiser Brody was a very good friend of mine. You know. I've known him for many years. You know, he was one of the guys that came to Amarillo back in the day, you know, worked with the Funks, you know, DiBiase, you know, Tito Santana, and, you know, it, uh, and I've known Frank for years. You know, he was like a big brother. He kind of showed me the ropes in the business, you know, when we're in different countries and always showed me, you know, how how to – when you're different countries and how the business is and just took care of me. Well, anyway, <clears throat> I I can just say just that night when that happened, um, I mean, <clears throat> you all right? Yeah. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah, I just said Anyway, yeah. I definitely remember it. Yeah, I mean, just like, I mean, there's other people there with me. I mean, that particular night, you know, I, I, we lived on the island, so we would pick up Frank, and he would come in for two-week tours or whatever. We would pick up Frank from the Canama Hotel, and, you know, we'd take him. He would go with us to all the shows, you know. We would, you know, he'd pay his trans because we'd rent our car. You know, so he he'd be one of the boys and help pay for trans and stuff. And yeah, it's just that one particular night we picked him up. You know, the Canama and 
um, got to the got to the show. You know, we all get there early. You know, the show starts at seven thirty or eight. How we'd get there an hour and a half before. And, yeah, and it, it, it was it's a it's a professional baseball stadium, so we we were just in the professional dressing room, which very nice, you know. The baseball players had their special lockers there, had their names on them, you know. Uh, you know, we, we had our own little booth there and big old dress room, you know, big old showers, big old, you know, toilets in their urinals everywhere, you know, to, to house a baseball team, you know, or a wrestling crew. So and we get there early and, you know, it's, Chris, you know, we arrived, Chris, uh, myself, and Frank, of course, and we all kind of get our chairs and find our place where we want to get dressed, and, you know, everybody kind of goes their ways, and so, and then, uh, Tony Atlas is there, you know, and other local Puerto Rican guys are in there, you know, and some of the office, you know, are there, you know, the head guys on the totem pole, and, uh, so we, you know, time's clicking, everybody's getting dressed, you know, chit-chatting, talking about family, and, you know, did you guys get fun today, or where'd you guys eat today, or, you know, that kind of stuff. And so Chris, my brother, and um, Tony Atlas, uh, Bruiser Brody, and myself, we were all kind of sitting in the same area, you know. The boys, you know, certain boys stick with certain boys, you know. We all just huddled together and... And we talking, shooting the shit, and uh, just so happened to be Tony Atlas is an artist. You know, he likes to draw and paint, and you know, does beautiful work. You know, he's uh, just a very talented guy. Besides being a great wrestler, you know, working with this guy, knowing him for years. So we're all just kind of sitting around in the circle, and well, Tony had started a, a, a charcoal portrait of my brother and myself, you know, fully dressed, Indian gear. We gave him a picture of this way he can uh, go off of that. Tony would come in and for a couple of weeks and he'd leave as well. Tony wasn't quite, you know, he, he wasn't living there. You know, he would just come in for a month at a time, two weeks at a time and leave. So each time he'd come in, he'd show us progress of this uh, sketch he did with us. You know, and it was getting better and better, almost completed. You know, we were like, and he, we know it and all. Like, all right, you know, think, you know, and so, um, so anyway, saw that and chit chatting. So Chris and I decided to go walk down the dugout because it's a baseball stadium. You walk down this long dugout hall and then you come up a few stairs and now you're in the dugout in the baseball stadium. So nobody can really see you. So, we get out and keep our hats, and we walk out and step on the grass, and people just start cheering, you roaring, yeah, right. you know, it's like now you're, you're, you know, now you're detected, and they know you're there. So we just kind of get the kick out of that. Well, at the end of the hall, Jose was down there, you know, and he, he, he was already dressed, you know, and he, he's the promoter and, and booker at the time. And for the listeners, uh, go ahead and mention his name. Jose, yeah, Jose Gonzalez, yeah, Invader, yeah, you know, you know, and it's, it, that is his name. I mean, it, that's, yeah. So anyway, you know, and, and I have no beef with uh, Jose, never have, you know, he's been actually a great guy to me and my brother, and, you know, he, he's a certain kind of guy too. I mean, like I said, in this business, there's some guy, you know, you're either your friend or you're not your friend, or, you know, they pick their friends, and, and he just happened to like us, you know, and, and I, I never had any problems with Jose. You know, he would tell us what was going on that night, shake our heads. You know, he knew we were over. You know, we're over, more over than he was. We're more over than Carlos. You know, we're a main event every night, every night. I told Jose, I go, why are we last? He goes, you guys are champions. You guys are the champions. I go, well, you guys have the big show. I mean, you're working, Carlos is working with Flair. So-and-so's work with, you know, big game. Why we last? You know, you know, but they just want to get out of show early and go home early, you know, because if you're last, you get stuck in all that crowd and, you know, then you're screwed. But 
that's another story. But yeah, it was just, you know, it was just one of these deals. And, and Jose, well, anyway, back to the story. Jose was down there at the end of the hall by the, you know, the steps to go out to the, the field and, and he had his wrestling gear on. He had his shirt on. We all had shirts with our pictures on it. You know, that's what they sold at the vendors. You know, Youngblood, Jose, Carlos, T-shirts. Well, he's wearing this shirt and he did have a towel with him, you know, which, Everybody carries a towel, you know, because it's hotter than hell there, and, you know, you sweat, you know, so you're just constantly, you know, dabbing your forehead, you know, and, hey, how you guys doing? I'm oh, good. Hi, Jose. How you? You know, you talk, and, you know, uh, you guys are working with the bushwhackers tonight, you know, you know, gave us what was going on with the bushwhackers, and, oh, cool, you know, good, 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 and, you know, Chris and I will walk out, look at the crowd, okay, looks like a good crowd, let's go back in the dress room, and, you know, sit back there with Frank and, and, and Tony again, you know, now we're, how's the crowd? Oh, crowd looks good. You know, we're going to have a good show tonight. And, you know, we're all sitting there just chit chatting and, you know, getting ready for the show to start. And, and the room, the dress room is full of just, there's a lot of local wrestlers and a lot of wrestler wannabes in there. You know, everybody in the Puerto Rico, everybody dresses that suit and tie, you know, everybody's, and what I like, it's very respectful, you know. Carolina, I mean, the Puerto Rican office wanted you to dress up nice slats, no jeans. You know, they have dress code, which was respectable because, you know, you are a professional athlete. You want to look the part, you know. So a lot of suit and ties in there, you know, some sitting down in chairs, some uh, the governor of Puerto Rico, Cologne, he was there. The mayors, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of big wigs, a lot of big wigs at the shows all the time. A lot of big Cuban cigars, a lot of cognac drinking, you know, kind of in one corner of the dress room, chairs next to each other, talking, you know, uh, just a lot of everything going on in the dress room, you know. Jose comes walking back in, you know, after minutes of, you know, 20, 30 minutes. And just like he does to everybody else, Mark, can I talk to you? You know, Tony, can I talk to you? You know, Joe Blow, can I talk to you? Sure. Frank, can I talk to you? Yeah. Jose goes into the shower, big shower, heads everywhere, because, you know, a lot lot of guys are going to be showering in there. You know, and that's kind of where everybody goes in there to talk over their business and wrestling, kind of in the shower, kind of quiet, get a little, you know, privacy, I, I would say. And just, you know, that particular night, I guess Jose had a beef that night with Frank, and, you know, it just kind of turned out from, can I see you? You know, and you can kind of see him in there. It, it, it's a sh- big, it's a big old tile shower, and you can only see the glass door. You know, you go in the glass door, and, the, the door pushes in. You go in the shower, and so we're all sitting there. So now Frank left our little party, Tony and Chris and myself, and and so Frank went in there and listened to what Jose had to say to him. And oh God, it wouldn't. But ten minutes later, five minutes later, I hear a ah oh ah. I was like, I hear a a yelling, a moaning. It was just a, a sound that. I could tell this, something was happening, something just different happening, you know. And, and I saw Frank come to the shower door, but the door pushes in, and he was trying to push out. So, the, you know, he, he, he wasn't thinking to pull the door open and run out. So we saw that. You know, it, it, it was like, like psycho seeing the shower scene, you know, seeing the face up against the damn glass, you know, it's, uh, so Frank's face up against, you know, up against the glass door. And then Tony, myself, Chris, we all ran and pushed the door open. That time, Jose had Frank, Frank was bent over holding his stomach because Jose had already <clears throat> yeah, he, he ready. Oh. 
Yeah, he already cut him his liver and his stomach wide open. He went from left to right. Frank was bent over. Jose grabbed him by his ponytail and caught him in the back. Overhand stab in the back. Frank, Frank just ran out of the shower after that. The door was open. He came out. He just dropped. He, he, he looked right at me. And uh, the guy, his brother, he just called an ambulance. Angela was there already. I mean, shit was there already. But he he was holding his stomach, and he he released it, saying, "Call the ambulance, like show me it was serious." And you know, I could just see his intestines just fall into his hand. <clears throat> Pretty surreal, right? It dropped him. Yeah, it dropped him. Big man that he was, it dropped him to his knees and he just laid there holding his stomach. And he's just losing color. He just, he's, it's, it's just draining out of him. I could see he's dying. He's looking at me and uh, I'm just holding his hand, just keeping pressure on him. And, I, I just know he he was telling me he's his brother. He's just getting me mad because he he just he told me to tell my wife I love her. You know he he was he he knew he was dying. He knew he was dying. You know in the office everybody was at his head just sitting there watching him die. And and it really was like one of those. Uh reality checks where it was like uh us against them right you kind of like you kind of got to see the truth right well yeah yeah i mean of course i mean after it all happened they you know the ambulance came in they had to go find the ambulance driver they had to get it i mean at first they thought it was a publicity stunt you know jose stabbed brody and it went on for a little bit and they'd I don't know. The, uh, the cops there aren't as, you know, like the cops here in Texas. You know, they're kind of more laid-back cops, and they just didn't know if it was serious or not for a little bit. I mean, they, they did what they could. Everybody did what they could. You know, the ambulance got there. They toted Frank off. I saw him go out the dressing room door. Tony went with him, grabbed his stuff, and I didn't see Tony after that. I have not seen or spoke to Tony Atlas since that day and um, never got to see the end result of the, the picture he was drawn. And um, Frank was gone, and not Chris and I stayed there. You know, the show went on, of course. Jose came in. He had blood all over his shirt. Took his shirt off. Ran out into the crowd. Went to the vendor's stand and grabbed another clean t-shirt and then came back in the dress room and sat there like nothing happened. Do do you think that the the management and the promoters of that promotion did did what they needed to do or did all they could? Well, Vinny, let me tell you this. When you have a beef against somebody else and you're just so bold up that where you think you're going to take his life... I think that's just up to you, you know. And whatever that happened that night, Jose got the courage to do what he had to do. On I don't know for what reason. A lot of theories out there why. But, I mean, to be able to do that there in front of everybody and at that time and point, it really didn't matter to him to who was watching. He just knew that he didn't like that man. And he just knew he wanted to kill him. So I can't really tell what everybody else thought, but I knew Jose Gonzalez that night was pretty set on taking Bruiser Brody's life. So, I mean, when somebody's that crazy, nowadays it happens every day. You know, and really it's not a big thing anymore. Nowadays people are dropping left and right. 
you know, but for some man to do that for some unknown reason, I mean, and then me having to just face him that same night, us face him the same night. I had to work that night. The show went on. I was main event against the Bushwhackers. You know, a lot of guys on the other side were leaving. They, the, the story got across. Everybody took off. Everybody left. Some did and some stayed, you know. I was living there. I, I, there were, you know, I, I left, you know, just a lot of shit happened that night. By the time we finished our match, Chris and I, they said Frank was gone already, you know, dead. And they said he's at the funeral home at this little place in Puerto Rico. So he was already at the funeral home before the show was over, in in a casket, ready for viewing. You know, and it was like, we couldn't believe it, you know. It was like one of those deals, you know. After the match, Chris and I, we, he wasn't at the hospital. They said he's at the funeral home. So Chris and I, after the show, drove to the funeral home. There was the press there, the TV there, fans there. You know, it was just a little house, like converted into a funeral home, like a little living room with Frank playing in it with his Japanese gear on, you know, and it happened all that fast. No autopsy, no nothing. Yeah, it was all over that quick. So the next few days, the next week, everybody's scrambling to get out of Puerto Rico. You know, Chris and I, of course, we're there. We live there. We're, you know, and I don't have no beef for the office. And now are they going to come kill me? They get, you know, what's happening? Or yeah, it was a crazy deal. Detectives yeah. involved. I was taken to the police station. I was interrogated. Split me up in the room, asked me what happened, who did it, where the knife was, who killed. Yeah, it was a big deal. Subpoenaed, canceled, subpoenaed, canceled. Guys free. Yeah, I mean that that was the most shocking thing, right? I mean, is that that he was that he walked after yeah. what was seen, the right? Group. I mean, that yeah. yeah. What could I say? I mean, eyewitness accounts. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I I knew who did it, but I, I didn't actually see him do it, you know. But, you know, that's Puerto Rico. That's the island. That's uh, politics in the island, and that's, you know. But, Mark, power, in it's that, a powerful company. And, and Mark, in, in that in that shower, there was only one way in and one way out, right? That That's it, Manny. Yeah, he couldn't get out, you know. and he, Yeah, and after it was all over with, he, I went in the shower and his. You know, I, I, little girls back in the day, you know, you little hair ties for girls. They used to be little clear balls. You know, you put a girl's hair in a ponytail. Well, Frank used to wear those because he had long hair, so he wore those little ponytails that had little clear balls, you know, green, blue, purple, black. Well, it just happened to come off when Jose pulled it out of his ponytail and it landed on the floor, you know, with a cob of hair. Well, I just picked up that little... Air time. I held on to that thing, Jimmy, for I don't know how many years, and it, and it still had his scent on that thing, and it had his hair on it, and I just I held on to it, and held on to it for I don't know how many years, and then finally I met his wife in New Zealand and talked to her about what happened, and I just I got rid of it, then. I just got rid of it because I just wanted to wash, you know, just I was holding on to something that I shouldn't have been holding on to that just kept on making me, reminding me what happened. Yeah, it was a crazy deal, man. And like I said, I hadn't talked to Tony Atlas since. and I, He's been, I'm not much on getting online, but I do see that he's done so many interviews and seems like the interviews are, are changing, though. I mean, from the very first story, now it's so-and-so was there, so-and-so wasn't there, I've seen it, I saw it, I, you know, the, change, the story has changed so many times, you know, out there, but it will never change in my eyes as long as I live. You know, I know what happened and there ain't much I can do about it. And if anybody's ever seen anybody actually, you know, die or something serious happen to them, it, it's not pleasant. It sticks with you a while, you know, and regardless what, you know, happens, it's something that I'll never forget in my life. And you really, it, it, it took me out of the business. It really did. After that, I just, I lost, I lost, I just 
I lost the passion for the wrestling business after that. You know, I just decided I'm no more. You know, that's, I'm out of here. You know. And for wrestling fans like the younger generation that aren't familiar with Bruiser Brody, never got to see him uh, in action or uh, at a live event. Back in the day, we're talking about a superstar wrestler. Exactly. Yeah, big big time wrestler. I mean, he's wrestled with everybody all the way, you know, from Vince. You know, all, he's done all the territories in all the countries. You know, and he's uh, on top. Yeah, and and he was probably, and it's strange. He never became a world champion, and everybody's so feared of the guy. You know. Because you know he he would be the epic world champion, <laughs> you know he would right. go in there and kick somebody's ass and he'd be believable, you know. So that's why when you work with Bruiser Brody, he, he just went that way, you know. But you just got had to know how to work with a man. I mean, it's just it, he had a certain way of working, and if you didn't know how to work that way, then he was going to make it difficult for you. It could be easy and, if you just know how to do it, you know. You right. said that. You know, there are several stories of why Jose might have done that. You know, I mean, there's, but do you think do you think anybody will ever know? No, I mean, the only the, one who knows is Jose, and that'd be it. I mean, and he's he's not going to tell anybody if why he did it. You know, I've heard from time, you know, stories about <clears throat> Frank might have said something about Jose's dead child. That would do it if somebody told me said something about my dead drowning child, I would probably kill him too. <clears throat> but I don't know if that was a situation or uh business down the road or uh just long feuds over the past. I mean, it takes a while for somebody to decide they're going to take your life. It just, it's not something that happens overnight, you know. So evidently, Jose had some bad feelings. You know, he didn't like this guy, even though he had a stomach and, you know, coming to Puerto Rico and, you know, had to be nice to him, you know, deep inside, I think he really wanted to kill him. So it, the time came and he did. And there ain't nothing anybody can do about it, you know. It sucks, but, I mean, look at Ben Wall, what he did to his family, you know. Killed his wife and his kid. Isn't that him that did that thing, Chris Ben Wall? Or, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, shit, there's, I don't know what... You know, makes people snap, but that, that's the ultimate. You know, and evidently he didn't care who was watching when he did it. You know, as long as he got the job done, either he did it on his own, which we'll never know, or somebody told him, which we'll never know, or the reason why. The only way to do it is ask him. You know, and uh, I would probably ask him. I had I had that type of relationship with a guy that you know he was my boss, and you know. He was like you, you know. Now that probably ask like Vinny. I mean, I don't know if I would really ask you, but I, I would want to ask you. You know, is there a reason? No, but it's none of my business to ask. You know, but hell, how do you do that? Why'd you kill the guy? You know. But yeah, it's uh, and Chris and I went to Puerto Rico a couple of years ago. You know, for our last, they wanted us to come do a show there and. Chris told me that Jose sent a message over to the dressing room telling us hello and, you know, wanted to say hi to us in long distance, you know. Like, when Chris told me that, you know, I was going like, really? He goes, yeah, Jose's son or Jose's somebody came up to him and and said, uh, yeah, Jose wanted to say hi to you guys. So I mean, I mean, see, I mean, see what I mean? I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, twenty-something years or more went by, and here this guy, I I know when he did it, he he hurt me and he hurt a lot of people around him, you know, and I, I'm pissed off because he did it in front of me, and plus he killed one of my friends. But hell, I mean, you know, I know it hurts him because he hurt me and hurt a lot of other people, you know, and I'm sure he has a lot of explaining to, but. Yeah, but he didn't want to see you in person, did he? He couldn't. No, no, no. He's not going to come to the show, the opposition show. Yeah, TNT ran the show. It was a new company. It wasn't the Capitol that we went for. It was a different 
different uh, extreme wrestling over there for TNT's company. So it wasn't nothing to do with Capital Sports. But, yeah, he did send a message. No, he, he probably wouldn't come to <laughs> that show. But, I mean, I'd really freak out if he would have said, hey, meet me at a – can you meet me somewhere? I'd like to talk to you guys. I mean, I wouldn't be afraid well, that he was going to kill me. I, I think he would be wanted to tell me probably what he did and – he was probably sorry to do it in front of us, you know, but that was just kind of the relationship we had. You know, we just had a business. I mean, like I said, I had no beef with that company. They had no beef with me. I was making them money, you know. You know, I, I would do that to any friend, you know. If you're my friend, I would, you know, but there's just certain lines you don't cross, you know. And uh, I've been damaged enough over this, and uh, I really don't want no more, you know, there's no more I can talk about it because it's already been amped to the max. So it's my word. I don't know if it means any more than what you've heard, you know, but I know definitely I was able to see and smell and hear everything, you know, and it's not a good feeling. Right. Mark, when when Bruiser Brody died, what kind of an impact did that do to professional wrestling? Oh, hell. Well, it hurt a lot of people, of course, because all the people that work with Bruiser Brody, but it really impacted the Puerto Rican island in the whole office completely. It killed it because that was a place to go to. And after that, they just, all the other boys, too, lost trust in, in the company, you know. And even though they all had relationships with the Puerto Rican office in different ways, but it uh, impacted, well, because, he impacted a lot of people. Everybody liked Bruiser Brody. Big old awesome guy come in barking like a dog and, you know, stepping over the top rope, wearing the, you know, rabbit fur boots and, you know, came in there and kicked ass and left, you know, took names and that was it, you know. He just wanted a pretty boy. He was one of these guys that everybody wanted to be. Big old brute going there and kick ass. <laughs> but that was his gimmick. Bruiser Brody, right. you know, you know, right. you got to live up your gimmick, right? The Bruiser, right? You know, his, his name's Frank Goodish, but he likes going there and bruise up people, you know. <laughs> you know, I would go chop people and do stuff. You know, that was my gimmick, but he was, he was the guy, you know, and just that's how he made his money. Smart man too, very educated, you know, was top notch. You know, he's very smart guy. I just loved his family, loved his boy, you know, at the time. I remember we'd come home from Japan, and we'd fly from Japan to over to Chicago. We'd go over the North Pole, and and we'd all of us would buy gifts in Japan for our kids, you know, ro- robots and stuff. And he bought a, a helicopter for his boy, a remote control helicopter. And, you know, so excited, you know, getting home, you know, seeing your kids and bringing toys home from countries and you know, he was just talking about it like, God, you know, we all talk about those things. And, you know, those are just things, being on the road with different guys and, you know, and the family type thing, like I said earlier, you know, we're all, you know, it's all about family. And then when they take somebody out of the family, which is a big wrestling family, then it hurts everybody in the world. Like he asked, yeah, it devastated everybody, you know, wrestlers, fans, you know, some guys probably didn't mind if he died, you know. I'm just saying, you know, there's people out there, there's the pros and cons about him. But what, What's the one thing that you're going to always remember about Frank? Well, just being a nice guy, having a, a, a soft voice, and, hey, man, what are you guys doing today? You know, getting out of the business. You know, when we'd hook up, we wouldn't talk about the business. You know, we'd go to Trinidad, Tobago. He'd ask me, he goes, I mean, he'd want to sleep with us. In our two-bedroom hotel, Frank goes, man, do you mind if I sleep on the floor? And we'd look at him like, really? You know, this big old Sasquatch-looking Bigfoot guy wants to sleep in our room? You know, he was tight, man. He would save his money. You know, he was all about family. And he was definitely, he was dedicated to the business. You know, in an odd way, but he was definitely there, you know, and, and I know he, he was really, a, he was definitely a good guy to me and my family. 
And that's the only thing I, I know, you know, because he's helped me through the business. And I can only say good things, you know, about him. You know, he didn't kick my head in or he didn't, you know, slap me around like a rag doll. You know, it's just a matter of respect your elders and respect the boys. If not, then you get thrashed around, you know. There's a certain way to talk to people, you know, like that guy you were telling me about, you know, hey, why'd you take that picture? Hell, you know. And then all of a sudden they turn, you know, turn salty on you. Yeah. But anyway, Frank, just, it just is, is soft voiced and is, is just being down to earth guy, which he was, you know, he was all about just down to earth, talking out of the business. What are you guys doing? What are you guys into? How's your family? How's, that's what I miss about him. You know, I can't say about how he kicked people's ass because, I mean, <laughs> I can't agree what he did to a lot of guys, but, you know, at least I wasn't on that end of the boot, you know. Right. Yeah, he he was just, uh, I mean, just some good guys and bad guys out there, and I just happened to know him. You know, I was just one to having to know him through my father and family and the business, and he was just somebody to kind of like Chewbacca. You know, some guy that you wanted to be on his team, you know. Yeah. Very, and just a, a good teacher in the wrestling world, you know, when my father wasn't there. He just kind of helped me along, with, especially when I went out of the country and he showed me how things worked and how the, you know, how life is when you go out of the country and make sure you get there safe and get your money and get back to your family. And that was all it was about, you know, respect. You know, this way you can come back to those countries and work again. You know, a lot of those things. Yeah, just experience and just uh, some knowledge, I would say, maybe, you know. And a lot of people can say that from him, you know. And I would say he would know. He would know. I, I, I'm not going to tell you something that I don't know. You know, I'm not going to say, hey, uh, yeah, I was his friend. And a lot of people say, yeah, right. Yeah, well, no, I, I could honestly say I was his friend. You know, and his wife. His wife knows me, Barbara. And there's never going to be another Bruiser Brody. Never. Ever. You can never duplicate that. There's always a wannabe out there, Vinny. There's always a wannabe. Always, there's always the, the duplicators. You know, the innovators are gone, man. You know, the innovators of this wrestling world are gone. And all they're out there is just du- duplicators now. Somebody wannabe. You know, from the top guys to the bottom guys, you know. You know, it's just, that's the way it is. You know, you don't see nothing new out there. You can turn on the TV right now and you see, hear the same and see the same old shit. Nobody's ever going to be like the old timers again. You know, they'll never do it. It's never going to happen. You know, the business is going to die before any of that happens. And it's on its way to dying, I think. <laughs> 